Hello and welcome to episode 1208 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Friday, August 18th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined this morning by Justin Mason. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. About to hit the weekend here. Uh, you know, we are fully in the dog days. You know, football's creeping, which both of us like, but also get annoyed by the creep. It's August now, though. I totally get it. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Man, after last night, I'm doing fantastic. Last softball game of the year. And my team going up the standings. I love to see it, uh, you know. On a six-gamer? Yeah, like Lance Lynn pitching well, Zach Gallon pitching well. We're going to well. talk about that guy. Uh, C.J. Abrams and uh, Sal Freelich just, you know, stealing bases left and right. and uh, On a pinch hit yeah. for Abrams, by the way. He comes in, gets murked, got hit, steals two bases for you. So you're making moves on a six-day slate. That's huge. I I like just the, the fact I got Justin Costas homer yesterday. I thought that was a good day on a six gamer. You're actually out there making moves. That's huge. Um, you're moving up in the overall. Yeah, I'm the seventh overall right now. Uh, in the I auction championship. In the right? auction championship. Yeah, I mean, I, Dave Potts, who you know, friend uh, friend of ours, uh, really really great guy uh, and great fantasy player in the industry. Uh, he's been in first overall for a while. I don't think I'm going to be able to catch him. But you never know. I mean, clearly, you, you never know. Nights like this, get a bunch of those yeah. in a row, and uh, all of a sudden, I might be up there. So, uh, you know, chasing the dream and hoping I can uh, take down a few titles. That's fantastic, man. You are having a wonderful season, and you know, you beat yourself up way too much about your season last year, and you came back and said, "I'm not going to have that crap mm -hmm. again." So that's awesome. Uh, we're going to get into some things here. We got a big call up. We're going to talk about your boy Lance Lynn because he's better than ever. Uh, we'll put some three up, three down with pitching and then talk about some of the questionable two-start guys, uh, depending on league format. Let's get right into the call-up. Mason Wynn coming up for the Cardinals. Obviously, they've had a disastrous season just all around, but uh, Mason Wynn is an exciting young player who could definitely make a difference for them you know, in the near future, including even perhaps this year. Uh, 18 homers, 17 steals, 288 average at AAA. An electric player. We've seen him at the Arizona Fall League, in fact, last year. We did. Um, this guy could be an impact guy immediately, the 21-year-old Mason Wynn. Do you see him as somebody as a, uh, as a must-get? If he comes up today, which is what the rumor, you know, everything says he's going to, he'll be eligible for NFBC bids this weekend. Is Mason Wynn somebody to go for? I mean, I think so. I, I think this is one of the few impact call-ups rest of the way, uh, especially on the hitting side, especially because he can – impact the game in pretty much all five categories i do mm -hmm. wonder how much power he's going to show early on in his career um you know it's a pretty big park uh and he's a I, wiry guy too yeah i, I think he mostly you know, it was well he's got a beautiful swing like i think mostly he's kind of got like gap power he doesn't really have uh over the fence power so uh, but he can steal bases he makes a lot of contact and i mean he's gonna play every day they just lost newt bar uh, I think he's going to be in uh, in the lineup pretty much every day. We're going to see a few more of these call-ups just because we're now getting to the point where uh, players can retain their rookie eligibility for next year, uh, mm -hmm. which is uh, important for clubs trying to get that extra draft pick because they, uh, their players finish well enough in the rookie of the year voting. So, um, But I think Wynn is probably going to be the most impactful uh, or has the potential to be the most impactful rest of the way. Yeah, because, I mean, he has, 
you know, game-changing ability to kind of do anything. If he happens to club a few homers, Mason Wynn could be a massive player because the expectation is that he'll at least be stealing, and that's Mason with a Y. Um, You want to guess what his middle name is? Uh, Paul. I mean, that'd be amazing. It's Blaze. Mason Blaze Wynn. That's just a kick-ass name, dude. Mm -hmm. He has to be good just based off of that. Uh, Yeah, so I think he's somebody that you're going to look at in a lot of formats. Probably still not like chasing him in tens in, unless we see something from Mason Wynn. But I think twelves and deeper, he's definitely somebody who uh, could be a fill-in for you. Going to be playing shortstop, so middle infielder there if that's what you're looking for, Mason Wynn. Let's talk about Lance Lynn here as we kind of uh, get a little rhyming scheme going. And listen, I, I say he's your boy, and I, I fully give you that. But as a show, we stuck with him all year through thick and thin. Uh, there might have been a time where we're like, you know, if you're cutting him, we get it. It's like a six and a half ERA. But us specifically, we both have him. We we struggle to even get him out of our lineups at his worst moments. Um, and I don't really even say that say that to brag. It, it could have hurt. He could have just kept giving up homers. But it was like just one of those things where it was really hard to get away from Lance Lynn because when you watch the starts or even when you just check the box scores, you saw elements of quality in damn near every start. I happened to watch a bunch of his starts. So even some of these like five, six earned run outings, I'm like, he was basically himself outside of four pitches or outside of one inning. And it was always just like so close. Nobody's surprised that he goes out to the Dodgers. Boom, instantly turns it around. All those positive elements that we're seeing, they're consistent throughout his starts now. 144 ERA, 088 whip in his four starts with the Dodgers for Lance Lynn. And a beautiful, beautiful battle last night with Corbin Burns. I had a great time watching that game. I imagine you were at softball, but mm-hmm. I'm, I suggest a rewatch today if you get an opportunity because they just battled each other for seven scoreless apiece. It was awesome. But how have you been feeling? You've obviously been feeling good, but what's been your outlook on Lance Lynn uh, since getting to the Dodgers? And does this build your trust for him next year? Because obviously he's getting up there in age, but he's a guy we've both been fans of for several years now. And it's, uh, you know, hard hard to get away from Lance Lynn. What do you think? Well, I was able to watch uh, a lot of this game because uh, I had the late game. And uh, even though I was at the park, oh, like, okay. I just brought it up on my phone. Uh, the service wasn't great, so it was a little grainy. Um you know, when Lynn first got traded to the Dodgers, it was all like, oh, he's got the A's first. This is going to be the turnaround. And then he gave up three earned runs uh, on, I think it was like back to back. All homers. You know, home yeah. runs or something like that. And like, I was like, oh no, Lance Lynn is still broken if the A's <laughs> are hitting three bombs off of him. But I mean, outside of, you know, just those three bombs. And even in that game, he went seven. So like the three didn't hurt you nearly as much as it might have if he had gone, you know, five. Uh, he's been just the guy we kind of expected. I thought coming in the season, he was going to be a top 25 starter. Uh, you know, he finished really, really strong last year after a rough start. We kind of blamed the rough start on, you know, coming off of injury. Uh, I don't know. I know this is like a really bad narrative type thing, but you got to wonder like how much of just being in Chicago was a problem for him. I mean, you know, like, it's hard not to think there could be something there, right? You don't want to go too far with it unless a player says something, but there is that element of like, oh, we suck here anyway. He kind of did did say something. So I don't know if you, did you see Kenyon Middleton's comments? Oh, that's right. Yeah, I did. And he said, he said that 
Keenan Middleton said nothing wrong. Yeah, exactly. Basically, there's he's Keenan Middleton, the middle reliever who's now with the, I think the Yankees. Yankees basically yeah. said there's nothing going on with Chicago in terms of leadership, order, anything. It's just it sucks. Basically, is what he said. They presented that to Lance Lynn on a podcast, and he basically just all he said was, "I see no lies." You know, not yeah. not that's not directly what he said, but he just said, "I co-sign what Middleton is saying there." So yeah, you're right. He did basically say. Uh, Chicago sucked. And I mean, based on their record, based on their underwhelming, uh, you know, performance against expectations, that checks out. Yeah. And I mean, Lance Lynch just seems like one of those guys that really gets influenced by the people around him. I mean, he's a real emotional guy on the mound. Um, and so you got to wonder just like change of scenery, what that does for him. Now, the question becomes, the Dodgers are not picking up his, I think, $15 million option or whatever it is for next season. I um, highly doubt it. I mean, they're going to be remaking their rotation. There, maybe there's a world where if he's like the playoff hero or whatever, but I do doubt it. So then you're you're talking, well, where's Lance Lynn go? And I guess you're going to mm-hmm. – my guess is you're going to say that's going to determine your interest. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing is even if he finishes strongly, I mean, unless he – Someone jokingly, I think in the poll hitter Discord last night, said he's gonna he's gonna be World Series MVP or something, right? Like that. Of course. Like, of like he's winning the MVP of one of the playoff series. Yeah. I totally agree with that. It just it's exactly how it's gonna play out. So unless something like that happens, he should be fairly affordable. He's gonna be pretty cheap, I think, in the market. Definitely. Uh and so in that case, I'll take a gamble no matter what. Yeah, I, I think I got no issues with that. Uh, with Lance Lynn, I'll probably be back again next year. We'll kind of see where the price is. But right now, he's been wonderful. If for some reason he's still available in your league, like a 10-teamer, maybe. Mm-hmm. I doubt it. I doubt it. But he does have a 560 composite ERA. So sometimes things slip through the cracks in shallower leagues because people get caught up looking at those composite numbers. But I doubt he's available. Um, obviously, do your due diligence just to make sure. Let's get a little, let's get a little Tiger centric here. He hasn't been a lot to talk about for the Tigers this year. I want to talk about our boys, Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, both playing very well here in the summer. Could throw in Kerry Carpenter there too, but he's on a different level. He's kind of a rising guy, um, you know, that hasn't been as well known. Green and Torkelson, of course, are the franchise foundations and they're both playing well. Let's start with Torkelson, Justin, because he started his breakout kind of in June, but it was like literally power only. He hit seven homers, but also hit 196. So the ball was going over the fence, but the hits weren't falling. I, if I recall, you know, he still had some tough luck moments where some hard hits that found gloves type of thing. And so that's why the batting average was so crappy. Then July, four homers, 247 average. So a little bit more balanced there. And we're not just going off batting average uh, as the sole driver here, but of course it is a fantasy category, so it does matter. And then this month, six homers and a 235 average. So the average isn't necessarily there um, in any of these months, but it, it's better than that 196. I don't think that's who Spencer Torkelson is. But now we're talking about 17 homers in the last three and a half months for Spencer Torkelson. Is this the power breakout that uh, people have been hoping for. I, I don't want to overstress that too, because he had exactly one year. But is this is this Torkelson coming alive and uh, you know putting himself on the scene as a real fantasy player for next year? I mean, I think it is. Uh, and I mean, Torkelson's a guy that I've written up multiple times on my buy low article, including earlier this week uh, or at the beginning of this week when I said, like, listen, the average is. Uh, I mean, his, his average is, you know, two something and, or, you know, low twos. And uh, 
his XBA is 260. Like this guy should be a 250, 260 hitter uh, with all this power and not a guy who's in 220 something. Uh, now it's up to 230 because he's had such a nice week. Some of it's the park too, by the way, right? He'll mm-hmm. he'll lace some, but that spacious damn Comerica, somebody will be able to chase it down. Whereas you know it would have been a hit in twenty five other parks type of deal. Yeah, I mean he's never he's never going to be a guy who's like running a three hundred Babbitt or something like that. So you don't want to like look at the Babbitt being like, well, he's getting unlucky. Well, yeah. he might be a little bit, but it, the average should be a little bit better than it is. But the power metrics are fantastic. I mean, we're talking about. Uh, really nice exit velocities, uh, you know, 52% hard hit percentage. Um, so, I mean, I think you're seeing everything you want to see. And if he was maybe on a different team that was a little bit more competitive, maybe people would Shut be paying attention to it a little up. bit more. Uh, but I think he's kind of under the radar still a little bit. I think so too. Uh, which is nice because first base is not as strong as it used to be. Uh, no, it's it, it's really not. And, you know, we thought maybe this year it would get strengthened a little bit. It, that hasn't really come to fruition. Some guys have popped off, but they've only really kind of countered some of the guys who have done nothing, or not nothing, but that have underwhelmed. Like Vlad Jr. is the 13th ranked first baseman. So again, that's not nothing, but that's under expectations for sure. Um, so you got, you're looking at Torque, by the way, he's ranked 18th on the year. And I'm curious, you know, is he going to be somebody that you are targeting next year do you think because the price probably will be a bit lower i do think this is getting a bit hidden in detroit and the low batting average is at 230 as you mentioned for torkelson i do think that'll kind of keep the price in check so do you think he's somebody who will be like your ci util um target yeah i think or could be one of your targets i should say yeah i definitely think he will um especially with the lack of depth at first base uh and third base um i I think he's going to be a guy that I'm, i'm looking to pick up you know after pick 150 for a fair price, uh, I think he's got 30 home run power in that bat, uh, and maybe so next too. year or year he gets there. Uh, I mean, unless he just has an outstanding September, I mean, he could still get there this year. If if he gets to 30, we're going to be in some trouble in terms of his price because I think people 100%. are going to start to really come around and be like, okay, well, yeah, maybe hit 235, but uh, 30 home runs is 30 home runs, especially considering like how down on power we are right now. So, uh, absolutely, that would be yeah, that would be enough to to really put Torkelson on the radar because that'd be nine more homers here in addition to the 17 he's hit since June. So if you're talking 26 homers from June on, that would start to capture people's attention. But we'll see where it goes with Torque. I, I totally agree that he's priced to buy and uh, barring just a crazy surge. Now let's talk Riley Green. He gets more of the credit and, and the hype with Detroit, which is obvious because he had a better season last year. Um, I think he's seen more positively, but I, I've got them kind of neck and neck here as two guys that could really carry my favorite team for a little while here. 11 homers, 6 steals, 309 average. The average is what I really like to see this year because I was getting a little bit nervous about the average projection for Green. It was always there. Everyone's saying, oh, he's going to hit for average, going to hit for average. Like, does he strike out too much? Does he take enough walks? I was a little skeptical myself, but Riley Green's having a wonderful year. Is he somebody that you think is putting himself uh, on the fantasy map as a go-to type player here? Do the Tigers have two really good hitters now? I'm less enthused by Riley Green. Uh, I mean, he's running a 410 Babbitt, which feels like maybe <laughs> he's just getting a, a tad bit lucky. Uh, the XP little Austin a, Jackson, little Austin yeah. Jackson action there. Remember, remember that first year he had, he ran like a four something Babbitt for most of the year. Yeah, I mean, 
the XBA says he's getting lucky, but not that much that he's, you know, 299 XBA. So, okay. Um, you know, the in zone contact is, you know, a fair amount below league average. Um, and he does hit the ball hard. So I think that can maybe make up a little bit for, you know, a little bit of the subpar in zone contact skills. But I don't know. He just, he's not a guy that has like, that carrying tool in fantasy. Like he doesn't have prodigious power. He doesn't have, you know, a ton of speed. He kind of just reminds me of like kind of a prime Melky Cabrera, um, which is fine, but it's not, it's not like, you know, we thought this was going to be a star um, in terms Mm -hmm. of like fantasy and MLB. And I just don't quite see that. I just see a guy who is a really, really good accumulator, uh, and if he can stay healthy, he had a little trouble staying healthy this year. Uh, if he can stay healthy, I think he can be pretty valuable in fantasy. I just I don't see like that big next step coming where all of a sudden, oh, he's returning, you know, second, third round value. I think he's more of kind of a, you know, eighth, seventh round guy. And I think there are going to be people next year like Riley Green breakout 2024. I don't know that I buy that. Okay, I think I think it's fair, and the, the park can can be a little tough there yeah. too. That can maybe also, um, you know, stifle some of the power for Green. You know, somebody that kind of he kind of reminds me of is like a Hunter Pence because you mentioned the yeah. accumulator aspect too, um, and that kind of fits to a T there. If he does end up, if Green does end up putting up some one fifty game seasons here, the way. Pence was able to for most of his career. This was in a different era, so he even has some 162s out there, which is very rare these days. But you know, Pence was known as as an accumulator, which is sometimes used as a as a negative. But going out there playing every day and being a consistent 154 plus game guy, as uh, Pence was for looks like a seven year run, uh, that's super valuable, right? The cliche is the best availability. Or, I screwed it. The best ability is availability. Um, and so, yeah, I think Hunter Pence is kind of one of the names that jumps to mind for me with green, which isn't a dig, but it does kind of level set your expectations. So I'm, I think I'm closer to you where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to have Riley Green shooting up my board and kind of reaching for him because I don't see where the big fantasy season comes from. If he falls to me at a reasonable price, I'll take him as a nice accumulating outfielder because that's what I'm hoping for yeah. too. I, I don't think being an accumulator is a bad thing at all. Like I like accumulators because they're, they're typically guys you can rely upon. Um, mm-hmm. and, High floor. You know, you look at the guys who win like some of these big money overalls or, you know, these oh big God. leagues, and they're almost always leading their league in plate appearances and innings pitch. Like it's And boring-ass players. Yeah, and boring-ass players. And Riley Green's one of those guys. I think the only problem with Riley Green from that context is that he was such a big prospect that people, anytime a guy is a big prospect, people are always going to expect them to make big jumps. Um, And we know that prospect growth isn't linear and that guys sometimes, you know, it's more of kind of a slow ascension or they never truly ascend to the levels we thought they would. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the price in the ADP tends to reflect what people's hopes and dreams are for people as opposed to what their actual production looks like. For sure. And we've been part of that too. We talked about the Jordan Walker situation uh, from this season and Ah, Jared Kilnick. 
Yep, it, it definitely happens with guys that we like too. So we're not just saying that other people are the only ones that make this mistake. But I think there could be a little bit of a mistake on Green if people push too high. I'm still yeah. holding some of that skepticism. He's a great line drive hitter, though. That's part of why he has that great BABIP, and it should fuel positive BABIPs or you know high BABIPs going forward. But 410 is just very very difficult yeah. to you know ever tag a guy with. And I did mention Kerry Carpenter briefly, um, you know, because again he's not on the same level as Torque and Green in terms of expectation. But he has been a really nice find for the Tigers here. Uh, 16 homers. He missed some time as well. So 16 homers in 77 games with a 286 average. Really, really like what Kerry Carpenter's doing. Tigers got three nice middle-of-the-order hitters now that they can kind of build around. And that feels good. At least something coming positive from this year. And, uh, you know, maybe Eduardo sticks around, right? He didn't want to get traded. Maybe he doesn't opt out either. And so then they would have their ace, three good hitters. And something to kind of build on there for Scott Harris. Yeah. Uh, let's play some three up, three down. We're going to go three up with the young pitchers right now that are surging. And we're going to start with Bobby Miller for L.A. You know, we talked about their veteran, Lance Lynn, that they picked up. But one of their young guns has also been a big part of their surge. And by the way, it is worth noting that the Dodgers are surging. And they're kind of back to being the behemoth that we always talk about them being. And you and I had pointed out, you know, coming into the year and even early in the year, Hey, they're not quite the behemoth that they've always been. They've now morphed back into that. Uh, I think they, oh, I forget what the number was yesterday. They said, I think they've won like 35 out of 47 or something. Some crazy number like that. I forget exactly what it was, but they are on a, on a tear right now. And it's because they're getting some good pitching. Kershaw's back looks great. Lynn killing it. Bobby Miller, who we're talking about first here in three up has also been wonderful. I think I made a joke. I can't remember if it was in my SP chart on a stream or on a pod. I, you know, when you do so much crap, you forget where you say stuff. Bobby Miller strikes me as somebody. You talked about how Lance Lynn's going to have like a World Series MVP. I'm worried that Bobby Miller is going to have a killer playoff and his price is just going to be through the roof from next year. And I'm probably just projecting the uh, Walker Bueller playoff tax from a few years ago, but. I kind of see the potential there for Bobby Miller, but he is absolutely rolling of late in particular. You look at when he came back um, uh, from the all-star break and he only threw four and two thirds, but only allowed one run that game has allowed more than three in any of his six starts, 31 innings of a 259 ERA uh, with a just over one whip for Bobby Miller. How do you feel about the young righty for the Dodgers? Is he somebody that uh, that you think can emerge into an ace here? Have you seen enough from him that you are buying into Bobby Miller going forward? Yeah, I, I think I have. Um, this is a guy I really, really like. I mean, I like a lot of the rookie pitcher crop kind of carrying over into Absolutely. next season. Um, I think this is very reminiscent of like the sophomore years for guys like um, Shea McClanahan. Um, Alec Manoa, uh, guys, we're going to talk about here in a little bit in the next uh, segment. Um, so hopefully they don't have the same future as some of these guys. But, uh, you know, where all these guys were like, um, you know, kind of drafted just outside of the top 100 the year after their rookie season. And then they made huge jumps into the top 10 of starting pitchers. Right. Uh, and I think that is going to be uh, a lot of what we see coming into next year. Uh, that we're going to, you know, there's the Bryce Millers and the uh, Andrew Abbott's and uh, the Bobby Millers are going to be. Brian Wu? The, the, uh, Wu, it depends on what the elbow looks like, right? I mean, well, that's true. That's, yeah. true. that's so, true. That's true. And then the next guy we're going to talk about will also be included in that. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, Bobby Miller, he's been great. And again, I can really see a dominant stretch either here in the stretch run or in the playoffs that just really I, boosts his price up. I just love the pitch mix on Bobby Miller. Like he's mm -hmm. he's not like these, you know, a guy like Andrew Abbott is, you know, he's kind of, you know, really focuses on two pitches. But Miller, like, man, he's just got this complete arsenal. It's like uh, five pitches, yeah. four or five, depending on how you break up, like a, a, two fastballs, fastball sinker, uh, or four-seam sinker, but then slider curve change that he he spreads out. He has an arsenal, which is really nice to see from a young arm like Bobby Miller. It's, he's really becoming a pitcher as opposed to being a thrower. And I think, you know, one of the criticisms of Miller – coming into it was like, hey, he just kind of throws. He don't, he's not really a pitcher. He, has, he hasn't learned how to sequence. He hasn't learned, But, I mean, the Dodgers have done, done just a really, really great job with his development, kind of teaching him how to pitch a game. Uh, you know, I mean, Will Smith, I'm sure, is, you know, a huge part of that behind the plate. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's just been very, very impressive. And I think that he feels like one of the guys that is a little underrated in comparison to the crop of other kind of rookie pitchers. I don't think he should be. I think he should be closer to the top of that uh, pile as opposed to buried somewhere in the middle of it. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree there. And your point about how Bobby Miller's already looking more like a pitcher than the thrower, despite having that sort of thrower tag. And I agree with that. You know, in fact, even right now, he averages 99.2 on his fastball. So you're thinking this guy's going to come up, just blow everyone away. But he's really, really developed an interesting arsenal. And I love what Bobby Miller's doing. And if the price isn't too crazy, I'll see myself in on the Bobby Miller sweepstakes next year. Uh, oh, I see we have a question here the, from Henry. Yeah, Go ahead. Henry in the chat, he's asking, um, since we've been in on the Tigers, would you prefer Bobby Miller or Tarek Skubal next year? Uh, it's Miller for me. Um, I mean, just a better team, I think. Uh, I Well, I think what about, what about at a, might be better. What about at a, at a cheaper price, though, if you factor in price? That's where I think I would lean Skubal. Because yeah. I think it could be like a three, four round difference. I mean, now, Scoobo no himself is somebody. Both. <laughs> true, true. G give me the old, you know, why not both gif. Um, I do wonder. Yeah, I wonder where Scoobo's price is going to be. If they're equal, I think I got to go Miller too, just because better yeah. team context, right? Absolutely. Um, but if we're talking multiple rounds difference, I think I then push over towards Scoobo because I think he can match Bobby Miller in terms of pure talent. And then, you know, the wins will be different, but I'll, I'll take the but round discount. Park and win difference. Park and divisions better for schools. So exactly. Um, yeah, I think I think that's right. I think it, if if all things being equal, I would take Miller. So if this is like a a keeper situation where you've got both guys for three bucks and you want to figure out which one to keep, I probably keep Miller. But in a draft situation, Scoobal probably likely ends up on more of my teams. Yep. Yep. I think that's exactly how I see it right now with those two. Great question there from Henry. Uh, asking about those two. Let's go over to Grayson Rodriguez here as we continue three up. And we have talked a lot a lot about him in recent pods. I think mostly as like a two-step guy, as I'm looking over mm -hmm. the times that he's been brought up, as opposed to like a real focus on uh, what's been going on with him. Grayson Rodriguez, since his recall, has been awesome. You talk about another guy, young guy, who has turned a corner quickly on things. And, you know, there was talk like when he first came up, I think his very first start, uh, was, was pretty good at Texas, you know, then Oakland of all teams and the White Sox roughed him up. Then he got good again with back to back starts against Detroit, had a really, really rough May with, you know, good and bad opponents kind of hitting him and, and nothing really going right for him. Gets sent out, 
comes back after a 51-day demotion and has a 303 ERA. Uh, and again, just over a one whip here. I think it's actually, excuse me. It's, it's just under one 35 base runners in 35 and two thirds 30 K. So the dominance hasn't been there. You know, it's under a K per inning, but I'll take all this other great stuff here. And I've seen three of these starts. I saw the uh, Tampa Bay start, the Toronto one and the Houston one for Grayson Rodriguez. I watched all three of those and just really impressed with how he's learned kind of on the job this year, on the fly, and really turned himself into a quality option to where they're already kind of getting the dividends of that potential frontliner. I love the future for Grayson Rodriguez. He has a 544 ERA, 141 whip on the composite. Do you think that will keep his price down at all? Probably not. I mean, he, I mean, I think it's just going to be, you know, he's too big of a prospect. He was the number one pitching prospect coming into baseball uh, this year, uh, you know, and I just think too many people are going to be talking about how well he's pitched after the break, right? He's going to be yeah. on second half, you know, standouts lists yep. and stuff like that. Uh, I, I think he's probably going to be the leader of all the rookie pitchers in terms of where people are taking him. Uh, so my guess is probably just inside of the top 100. It, I mean, it's it's warranted. That being said, like, he's been pretty lucky, too. Like, he's got a low BABIP since coming back, um, you know, and uh, he's only given up one home run uh, in spite of the fact, listen to this schedule since he came back. Dude, got, that's been the best part, by the way, is that he's gone through this crazy schedule. Go ahead. He got the Dodgers at home, Tampa Bay on the road, the Yankees at home, Toronto on the road, Houston at home, and then San Diego in his most recent start. Only one home run <laughs> through all six of those starts. Uh, I mean, part of it is I think the Orioles must have sat him down and go uh, and told him, hey, throw in the zone. Like, your yeah. stuff is good enough. Yeah, that – you, you know, even if you like, don't be afraid of contact because you've got a good home park. Um, and you know, the defense behind you will pick you up, and that's what he's been doing at 46% zone percentage, uh, you know, and a lot of ground balls. He's not getting a ton of strikeouts, but I think those but will come. I think so too. 14% swinging strike rate for yeah. Grayson Rodriguez in these six starts, just to put that into some context. in four of his last five before the demotion he was at nine percent or lower between eight and nine percent um and he had one one spike there of, of a good swinging strike rate so he's at 13 and a half call it 14 percent you know the easy shorthand is to multiply that by two to get you an expected strikeout rate of 28 percent, and he's been well below that because i think he's not trying for strikeouts too i think there's been an approach change where he's like okay i don't have to strike everybody out i can let my defense do some things i'm not just gonna go for the you know chase sliders here on oh you know the classic oh two waste two pitches all of a sudden you're two two now you miss a close one it's three two holy shit now you're panicked right yeah. it can it can snowball so quickly on you as a young pitcher even as an old pitcher but they are more capable of dealing with it but a young pitcher can find themselves backed into a corner very quickly Grayson Rodriguez is attacking instead and like you said it has resulted in uh some great things but also some favorable 
you know, some good luck with the home run suppression. Really love what he's doing. And I do mention the 514 or 544 ERA. Um, he does also have, you know, six weeks to shave that back down. And if he continues at this clip, it might only be like 420 by season's end. And then nobody will balk at taking that. So uh, even if it does remain high, I think your point makes sense that people will prop it up and do articles of saying, Hey, don't look at this composite ERA. Grayson Rodriguez is actually a stud. Um, and so I think he's going to be very expensive next year. I'm not necessarily out on it though. I got to no. see where the price is at. I'm down to pay for premium young pitching. So if, if it's, if it's priced fairly enough, you know, high but fair, I could be down to pick up Grayson Rodriguez next year for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's talk another guy, another young pitcher who's pitching very well that we've talked about on this show that we like, but is not quite on the Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez prospect path. And that is Chase Silseth out with the Angels. He has really come on for them. You know, this is another frustrating thing about this dumbass team, man, is they've had some really good things work for them this year, including Silseth's emergence, and they're just wasting it. And that pisses me off. I know we talk about it all the time, but I just want this stupid team in the playoffs so we can see Trout and Otani in October, and it's not going to happen again this year. And thankfully, Otani will be gone from there. But I really do love Chase Silseth. He's come back. He's found himself in the rotation, been absolutely killing it out there is chase silseth somebody that you believe in uh, not just here in the short term but going forward um not as much as i would like i you know, it's uh, the home run rate is concerning the walk rate is concerning um i think he's getting lucky in the babbit department i think he's getting like in the strand rate do i think he's gonna be a bad pitcher no but like i I don't think he is like on the same level or even close to the same level as the Bobby Millers and the Grayson Rodriguez is or the Andrew Abbott's and the Bryce Millers. I think he's just, I think he's a cut below. Uh, that being said, like, I don't think he's going to be extremely expensive next year. Um, as no, because he, because he doesn't have that, that yeah. sort of hype train for Chase Silseth. I, I agree with that part for sure. And I do wonder like with Otani likely pitching somebody somewhere else next year, do the Angels go back to a traditional five-man rotation? Because that changes the value on all their starting pitchers. Just 100%. getting that second start every once in a while that you just mm-hmm. never get in L.A. with the Angels because of that six-man rotation. So uh, maybe I feel a little bit better if I see the price next year and I go, oh, he's going outside the top 225 picks and they're now a five-man rotation. Uh, I'll feel a little bit more comfortable pulling the trigger but right now i'm just i just think there's enough there to tell me like hey there's going to be a fair amount of regression that if people are really excited about him coming into next season i won't be able to get him okay well i'll be one of those people that that's getting excited about chase so seth i hold him in a bit more esteem here we're a little split you know i love that he had pounds the ground balls there mm-hmm. um you know, capable enough defense to kind of turn that into outs that can certainly help keep your babbip in check obviously ground balls can lead to more babbip so it, it might sound counterintuitive there but if you have the, the defense turning them into outs um, and, and you have a high enough ground ball rate, which right now I, I wouldn't say that it is. It's at 54% for Chase Silseth. Usually once you kind of get into that upper 50s, low 60s range, that's when you're really positively impacting your your BABIP there. Otherwise, if you kind of live in, say, the 48 to 55 range of ground ball rate, it is good. It, it is more ground balls than fly balls, but it doesn't necessarily help your BABIP the way we've seen it uh, with guys like, uh, say, like a... Um, 
uh, Dallas Keuchel at his peak or whatever when he was just keeping the ball on the ground 62, 63% of the time. So um, there is that. But I love the swing and miss for Silset. That's really been the major factor here that we've seen as a starter that uh, that has made me so happy with the emergence that Silset has had. Four, 15% swinging strike rate in these four starts. Now, it is also a small sample, so I will freely acknowledge that, that we need to see more here from Silseth because it hasn't been that much, but it's been high impact, signature games, 12 strikeouts against Seattle, 10 strikeouts against the Yankees, although that barely counts because they're so freaking terrible at baseball. But I like five shutout innings in Houston in his most recent start because that offense is starting to click again with everyone coming back. So, you know, I think I think Silseth will be priced to buy. I think you're concerned that he might get pushed up too high or, or worry that anybody might push him up too high won't be there. So I think you'll be more in on him than you think just because the price will be affordable. I I hope so, but you know who he reminds me of? Not in terms of like his like the way he pitches or his skill set or anything like that. Um, his teammate Patrick Sandoval, oh. where he was everybody's favorite sleeper. And then all of a sudden, by the time we got to the main events, he was going at like pick 140. And because every single person in the industry that people listen to were going, oh man, I really like Patrick Sandoval. I really like 291 ERA last year. Shut up. You know, um, you know, and so like, every, you know, you can just say me. It was you. It was you. It was Scott Jenstad. Um, it was. Uh, you know, Nick I Pollock, stand by my Patrick was, like, you know, oh, it was a lot of the same, a lot, you know, I think, Eno was on, on, in on him. It was a lot of the people that move ADPs, right? Like, and so that is the concerning part to me. He won't, still Seth won't get that high though. Right. Like, cause Sandoval had some history. He had, he had a little bit more history behind it. That's a, that's a fair concern if it happens. And I'll back off a of still set at that point too. If we start seeing him, you know, top 150. And I guess, you know, depending on how these final five, six weeks go, maybe, but I, I think he'll be a little bit overlooked and, and kind of forgotten in the rookie class, if I'm being honest. And that's where I'm going to pounce on somebody like Chase Silseth. I, I hope you're right. Uh, I just, yeah, I mean, for me, it, it is all going to determine or be determined based on price. By price. If, if the price is cheap, if he's like pick 230, then I'm totally game. If he's pick 150, I'm out. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Chase Silseth or JP France next year, who's, by the way, France has been insane despite having like four strikeouts all year. I mean, it's, a, it's better than that. I'm, I'm being facetious. It's like 6.3 per nine. But uh, what about France versus Silseth next year? I think I don't know how France I, does this. Like I like he'll be he'll be cheap too because I think people will not believe in what France yeah, is doing. He, yeah, France is going to be on the all like regression lists. Like, yeah, right? like every list that talks about like oh this guy got lucky. This, and, I mean, I definitely think he is getting lucky, and I don't really understand exactly how he does it. But I also think he's one of those guys. You know, obviously not to the same skill level, but like he's a Kyle Hendricks type, right? Like he's a guy that beats out his era estimators because he is so good at placing the ball exactly where he wants to place it and he's also got the houston offense behind him and so mm -hmm. i think they're really really close for me i probably lean still set because of the strikeout upside but yeah i i france might be the right answer when i do my projections i'll have a better idea and i'm going to be starting those next month um you know, for, uh, for 2024. So I'll have a better idea next month on where I'm leaning, 
but I think I'm leaning so Seth right now just because as long as they're in a five-man rotation, if it's a six-man rotation, it'll definitely Might be go France. France. Yeah. Yeah. Those those supplemental starts, especially in weekly when you're getting those two steps, uh, that is a big deal. And I, I agree with you that it's going to be intriguing to see if L.A. shifts back to standard five-man and then Silseth is getting regular two starts. All right, let's go to three down and let's talk Michael Kopech. Boy, I can't tell you how much, how happy I am that I cut that guy months ago. That's been one of my favorite moves of the year. Just from the stress stamp, my, my, my antacid budget went down so much after I cut that clown. Um, I don't understand. And it's the volatility start to start. I know you're still rolling with him. You've seen some of the good starts. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and he's on and off your bench. He's so freaking maddening, dude. Uh, but since the, since the break now for Kopech, six starts with a 623 ERA, 23 walks and 19 Ks. That's right. I did not stutter. 23 walks, 19 Ks. We know the deal here with Kopech. Are you sure you should still be even holding him right now? I'm not even trying to be funny. Should he even be rostered in 15s right now? Michael Kopech. Um, I mean, I can totally understand if you dropped him. I just, I look at the waiver wire in 15 team leagues and I go, he's he's throwing, he's pitching, like he's you know, like that is fair. If you if you don't have someone to pick up, it, it's not worth you know just cutting somebody just to cut them. I, I I agree with that. And I for me specifically, um, I've actually optimized him fairly well as of late. Um, okay. You know the the part that's hurt me was earlier on in the season, um, but. Uh, you know, like I've avoided the Atlanta start. I avoided the Milwaukee start. I'm not starting him today in Colorado. Like, I've been very, very smart about when I use him. Uh, but I think most people should not be rostering him. Like, I, I think that, like, I think your decision to cut and move on, um, yeah, is probably been great for your blood pressure. And it has not been great it's for mine. Great. Yeah. Um, I know I have, like, texted you a number of times with you know expletives involving michael kopech either being on my bench when he pitches well when he pitches well or yeah being in my lineup when he doesn't um every week i just stress on whether or not i should be dropping michael kopech uh man it's just so frustrating because you you see the flashes of brilliance like absolutely how good this stuff is at times but man, the command, I'm pretty sure he's leading Major League Baseball in walks, which is. I totally um, believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually trying to double check it. Real 72. Quick. He leads the American League right now. 72 for Michael Kopech. Okay. Who the hell so, has more? I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking. Go ahead. Yeah. And having Lance Lynn and Michael Kopech on my team earlier in the season is the reason I'm not oh. winning overalls right now. Like, I mean, and <laughs> I mean Alec Manoa we're going to talk about here in a second. Yeah. So, the, the, uh, those two have, have been, and Alec Manoa, by the way, ninth in walks, uh, the leader, we should have, we should have known that well, once, once I tell you, you're like, Oh yeah, duh. Uh, Blake's now 78, oh. but he has a 265 Which ERA with his walks. He, he's, yeah. Yeah. He's that's killing one it. I'm not going, he's going to be, He's going to go way too high next year. He's just going to. Oh, mean, yeah. Because people are going to buy back I in. Now, but yeah. yeah. And I mean, he's not going to be in San Diego, which is a great place to pitch. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I assume he's going to go sign somewhere else. So 
Uh, yeah, Blake Snell is going to be on my do not draft list next. Season. He was on it, that this year. It'll depend where he's going, but I wasn't really drafting him this year either. I felt like he was a little too expensive. Love, love Blake Snell too. You know, talked about how we're little internet friends on Twitch, playing video games and whatnot. And I'll tell him to his face, say, "Hey, man, I love you. You're my guy." But I didn't draft you this year, and, and he'll give me a hard time about it. He streams during the winter, so uh, once the season ends, hopefully he gets back out on Twitch. And, of course, that's where he had his is, infamous is number incident. One, is he going to be the number well, one pitcher besides on the Shohei. Market? I mean, yeah. Shohei yeah, yeah, is that, not a Shohei pitcher, is his own so thing, so, he's, yeah. yeah. Um, I think so. Kershaw, I'm looking right now. Yeah, Martin Perez. In uh, terms of, like, like – Pure one-to-one oh. -one inning, Kershaw, yeah, but then in terms of like bankability for a longer-term contract, got to be Snell over him, right? Julio Urias available. Oh, that's right. That's right. Now, we don't know what the Dodgers are going to do, right? They're, obviously, oh, everyone's Aaron rumoring. Nola available. Like straight up available, or is there like yeah. an option or anything? Oh, okay, no. so that, that'll be a big one. Um, and then as we talked about, Lynn will probably be out there too. It's a really fun, uh, you know, Paxton. Montgomery. Paxton rebuilt his value. Giolito, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a pretty fun um, free agent class. There's some, there's so. some talent out there. Jordan Montgomery, yeah, he's 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 improving his stock. Um, Kenta Maeda is old, but he's been pitching very, very well. Michael Lorenzen boosting yeah. his stock with no hitters and what have you. Sonny Gray, Lucas Giolito, yeah, there's gonna be some pitching out there. Uh, Jack Flaherty on the right. right side of thirty. So yeah, we'll see where what happens with Snell. Um, but he leads he leads the league in walks, and Kopech leads the American League. So I actually cut Kopech really early, um, in in late April. He has a 404 ERA since I cut him, but a 141 WHIP. I do not miss that. I have no problem having cut him. And if you think about the butterfly effect, I baited somebody into picking him up. And guess who they cut? You'll never guess. It was Nick Pavetta. And guess who picked up Nick Pavetta? That's right. That's right. This guy. This guy. Very so, nice. you know, if you if you look at my Pavetta or my Kopech cut, it really has layers and, and works out a lot better when you realize who I now have. Now, it wasn't directly. I didn't immediately get Pavetta after that, but I've had Pavetta for this hot run there. So then, you know, sometimes you got to brag about a move that works. And other times you got to eat shit on a move that doesn't work, like drafting and propping up Alec Manoa like this channel did. Uh, damn, dude. Set back down because he's is really not working again. Let's not even worry about this year. It's been complete utter dog shit. This is a pure 2024 outlook situation. Uh, again, we've been friendly about Manoa. We're, we're fans. We like him. We, we believe in his game. What, what, what does this 87 innings of hell do to you? Can he come out of this? Is it too hard to see how he gets out of this? Because we're in it right now uh, and we're going to throw him out completely. What's what's the latest for you with Manoa when you look at him for 2024 specifically? I mean, he's going to be free next year, right? Like he's, I, I know we make damn the, near. I know we, I know people hate the uh, oh he's free comment, but I feel like he's he's got to be free. Um, if we're talking free, we're saying like outside top three, late two hundreds, yeah. early three hundreds, right? Yeah, I, and, I, and I just, he has to go there for Manoa. He has to, right? There's, there's no way. There's been too much good pitching coming into the league, and I know we've yeah. lost a lot of good pitching too to injury. But um, yeah, I just I can't imagine he's not going to be just such a cheap price that it's worth taking a gamble on because you can drop him really really easily if he you know if he comes out of the gate struggling. And um, that being said, like there's nothing in the profile that tells me he's going to turn it around. 
Like this is no, no, straight no, no, no. up you, like you won't get anything from this here. Yeah, yeah, like, it's, yeah. He's been atrocious, and like I'm sure there are other really good examples of this, but I have never, I, I do not remember ever seeing someone fall off in this manner. Usually with starting pitchers, it's like, hey, you know, he was older and, he, you know, he aged, he got hurt, right? Like when we talk about Boston, mm-hmm. we, we talk about the guys who got Tommy John or, you know, maybe, you know, there's some, you know, an older, a Lance Lynn type, right? Where it's like, oh, you know, he was really good, but he really struggled in the first half and that's what, you know, hurt him. Or uh, like this is like straight up like, Skills degradation from a twenty-something-year-old, twenty-five years old, from absolutely Manoa. no sense. Like it's just none of it makes sense to why nobody would, saw this. Yeah, like you have to wonder. Like, and one of you know one of the big pluses for me was, you know, coming into the year, and it's something that was you know now I look at it and I go, well, that was dumb. Um, <laughs> is like the dude's just got a fire in him, like you know, like the. This, and I know I know you're gonna feel dumb for that now, but like. I get that too. And I had the same thing, you know, talking about that. He got that dog in him type thing. And like, it's one of those unquantifiable things that you feel like, well, he can kind of get through adversity. And you're right that it's dumb in that it doesn't really carry anything. And we've seen, we saw it evaporate completely, but I still have a hard time not getting vibes like that from players, right? We watch a ton of games. It's hard not to get like, oh, he's a hothead. He's a asshole. I don't like this guy. He doesn't know how to handle himself. Oh, this guy's cool under pressure. He, He handles everything in stride type of deal. I don't know how to fully get rid of those biases, to be honest. And I mean, we and we usually go, oh, this is a guy like, hey, like, oh, we love the way he's on the mound. He's, you know, fire. He's, and like, you have to wonder, like, how much of that actually hurt him this year? Like, he's an emotional guy out there, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and when things aren't going well, maybe they tend to snowball. And because he isn't able to stay calm, cool, and collected, like, how much of this has been in his head? You know, with that, For like, sure. guys like that can turn around um, because, like, you know, he gets a fresh slate next year. You know, he comes out, starts pitching well. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I I don't th- – he's not one of those guys where, oh, he's going to end up on all my teams. So I'm going to buy back. No. Uh, but I'll take some calculated shots because I think the price are gonna be, is going to be cheap enough where I can say, hey, like, if it doesn't work out by the end of April, he's an easy cut. Yeah, I think that's the case with Alec Manoa. It's just that you can take the gamble. The price is going to be there. Um, so if you if you do want to get back in because you liked him enough in these first two good seasons, then take the shot. But don't overload. I, I agree. I wouldn't want to have a situation where he's on like 72% of my teams or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I'll have at least one. You know, we play enough multiple leagues that uh, I'll, I'll get one share of Manoa just in case he comes all the way back and we find a gem you, for nothing. You know where I won't have him next year? is my effing gladiator league oh god no i cannot imagine what he's doing to gladiator Um, leagues i I legit would be in first place in my league without alec like if (sighs) i if i drafted you i'd be in first place in my gladiator league like you know at least he got sent out now he's not hurting you anymore he's sent back down so that that part is at least good on manoa uh and then our final one in three down this has been a very bleak three down and it's not going to get any better here folks because we're talking shane mcclanahan who uh, we're not even talking 2024 outlook because it doesn't exist. I don't think he'll pitch enough. I mean, what? He might pitch a little in September at the very, very best. I'm putting out 24 all together. So we're on the dynasty outlook here for McClanahan. So this is a very narrow focus, but if you play dynasty leagues, 
I'm curious, and I know you do, Justin, you play multiples. Where are you at? Do you buy somebody that's a an entire year out, a year plus out right now? Um, even if it's somebody as good as Shane McClanahan, is it too risky to buy a pitcher who's that far away? Where do you currently stand on somebody like McClanahan who gets a late TJ, meaning it's going to eat up the entire next year? Is that, a, is that a target you usually make in Dynasty Leagues, or is it too risky to, uh, to even venture? So Dynasty Leagues for me uh, – you know, I, I used to be the person that like, hey, I'm going to try to win and I'm going to try to rebuild all at the same time like that. Or I'm always trying to win. Um, and while I always want to try to win, uh, I really take a clear evaluation of what my team looks like nowadays. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a number of Dynasty League teams where my teams aren't good. Right. And so I think what you have to do in a Dynasty League is commit and commit to either a long term plan to you know rebuild or hey this is my competitive window and i'm going all in for it um so if you are in kind of the former which is the long-term plan of a rebuild i have no problem trading for a guy like shane McMahon. i think he is an ace you know once he's back and healthy on the mound uh yeah and so like for instance i'm in a dynasty league it's my it's a three-sport dynasty league where you know, I've been kind of rebuilt. I won the first year, tore it down, and I've been rebuilding. Um, I just traded for uh, Jacob DeGrom. Oh, uh, nice. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, I know I'm not going to be competitive next year, but 2025, 2026, I should be. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to reach out to the guy in the league who has Shane McClanahan and see, hey, you know, you can't use him. You might be competitive right now. Here's a piece that helps you win over the course of the next couple of seasons. And you give me the guy that'll help me win in 2025, 2026. Um, I, like I have no problem doing that because I mean, the track record on Tommy Johns for the most part is pretty, pretty good, strong. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you get three, four, five years out of guys after, after TJ. So uh, I've got no problem making that move for the long term. Uh, just make sure, like I said, like pick a, a strategy, pick a plan and stick with it. Don't be the person that like kind of puts their feet in both waters because you end up, you know, you end up having a perpetual like six or seven place team and nobody wants it, that. Exactly. I think that's one the best point that you made on, on all of that, which was good, is commit. Whatever you do, go all the way with it. That's your strategy. You want to pick up guys like, um, uh, excuse me, like Shane McClanahan, then do it. But if you uh, if you want to be winning now, don't be like, okay, I'll also pick up McClanahan, but I'm 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 gonna win now, right now. Yeah. One or the other, commit all the way. Totally agree. So yeah, three up was Bobby Miller, Grayson Rodriguez, Chase Silset. Three down was Michael Kopech, Alec Manoa, and Shane McClanahan. Let's talk two steps for next week. Some of these guys, uh, you know, they're gonna have different viability here. We'll start them in some leagues, start them in uh, sit them in others. Let's start with a guy who has had a colossal second half fade. But reeled everyone back in with seven innings of one-hit ball against those lowly Yankees, and that's Bryce Elder. And in fact, he's he's actually done this really weird thing where, again, he's regressed hard. In fact, you go back to uh, before the break, the the start against Tampa Bay that kind of started things. He comes off the break, gives up another seven runs, so back-to-back seven-run outings. Uh, but then kills Milwaukee twice in a row. Then the Cubs smoke him, the Pirates smoke him, and then the Yankees uh, gem there. So if you look at it all together, it's seven starts of 
awfulness, 637 ERA, but there's three gems mixed in there. And that just shows you how much the crap can outweigh the, the gems. And we talk about that consistently, like one dud can erase two, three gems in one fell swoop. So Bryce Elder gets the Mets and a trip to San Francisco coming off the big Yankees start. Are you, are you going for this? And if so, where, uh, with Bryce Elder? Oh man. Uh, I, I know we say that prospect growth isn't linear, but pitching regression isn't linear either. Um, I don't trust Bryce Elder at all. Yes, <laughs> I it don't was blame a you. fantastic start. Do you want to guess what his strand rate was in the oh last my God. game? Had had to be huge, like hundred percent. It was a hundred percent. Yeah. Want to guess what his BABIP was in uh, in his last start? Like. 0.024 some crap 0.063 oh my god yeah so okay so he ran really hot against yeah. the yankees and he didn't get punished for three walks he only had three k's so to your point like seven innings one hit ball is undeniably great but sometimes that's good fortune shining down on you and it looks like that's what it was with elder so so then that being where do you said, go from there these are two really good starts. You're going uh, up against a Mets team that I could get a few strikeouts from, <laughs> and uh, and the Giants who were in San Francisco who are not a very good offense. Um, I think you got to roll with this. Like I, I mean, I think so too. Like you could also get absolutely shellacked, like he did against the Pirates, right? Or just another mm -hmm. one of these bad teams. But, like, if you can't use him here, you can't use him. Like, he shouldn't be on your team if you're not going to use him for this two-step. So That's definitely true. This is one of those litmus test cuts where if yeah. you are looking at things and you say, I don't, I'm not going to use Elder this week, cut him, get somebody new. Um, 10, 15s, 12s, yeah. What about 10s? Is he on the consideration chart? or? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I, I, so I we're, we're considering Elder it. everywhere. Yeah. I agree, by the way. I, I co-signed I co that as frustrating as he's been. And I did pick him as a second half fade. I didn't think he'd fall apart, though. I When I said second half fade, I'm like, I don't know, 450 ERA with a decent whip and good win opportunity because he's on Atlanta. Not an absolute shellacking um, in four of his last seven starts. So we'll see where it goes. But I, I'm rolling with Elder here, too. Uh, Tanner Howe coming off the IL and is, is slated into the rotation right now. I don't know if this is 100% confirmed, but it lines up right now for at Houston and home to the Dodgers. So I'm pretty sure you're going to universally say no on that. So my main question on Tanner Houck then would be, are you interested in picking up and holding and then maybe kind of seeing how these starts go before using him? Because he's still on the IL right now. This is just a projected two-step. What do you think of Tanner Houck uh, both next week and in the longer term of the rest of the season? I mean, I'm not super interested. Like he's only, he's only gone four innings uh, at the most in the minor leagues. So like, you can't imagine that he's going to go five against the Dodgers and uh, the Astros. I just, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe if it was the Pirates and the Mets, like you go, okay, maybe I take the gamble that he gets the five in one of them. Yeah, uh, try to get like nine innings of, of good work type of deal. So, I, I mean, it's mostly about, hey, what do I think moving forward? And kind of looking at the schedule for next week, you know, if he does keep this two-step schedule for this week um, or for next week, for the week after, he would be at Kansas City. So, like, Ooh. that's not a bad, like, hey, pick up in stash. Can I point out, though, that they are cooking right now? 
Yeah, that's I don't true. know if it's going to last, but at least over like the last month or so, Casey's offense has been really rolling. They played that excellent series against Seattle. That was a really riveting four-game set there. Casey was very game against that good Seattle pitching. Um, so, yeah, I, I would still want this like Tanner Houck at KC, but I just wanted to give KC their love in case we have any KC fans listening say, hey, let, at least prop us up when we're doing something good. But I would still be starting my mid, mid-tier mid guys at KC all day. And the hard part is, I mean, they're – Boston's schedule is filled with their division the rest of the way. Like, yeah, I mean, and then you add in a series at Texas. So, like, Ugh. how often are you really going to be using him down the stretch that he's worth a fab pickup? I was well, worth I'm, pointing out. Go, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So go, go. I was just going to say, I don't think he's worth it. I mean, you know, like, I think they're going to be very careful with him. You know, Boston, while they're technically still in the playoff race, they're not really in the playoff race. Uh, so like I to me I think this is a pass and we just kind of watch and see how he pitches for next season because if he's healthy I think he's slotting straight into that rotation next year. Yeah, oh I, I like uh, Tanner Houck's fantasy outlook for beyond this year because remember he's coming back from the getting hit in the face. Yeah. Uh, so it's not an arm injury that he's coming back from. Now there can be things related to that where you know he's coming back from. Uh, this and and there's and some he has had concerns in the past. That- yeah, he has had other injury issues too. So that that's worth pointing out there with Tanner Houck. But yeah, your your point about the the schedule and it's worth mentioning. And what I was going to say was he's a 505 ERA too, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like he's been so great that you're getting him back in there. Now I will point out 421 FIP, so the skills have been a bit better than that ERA. But I do think that this is a little dodgy right now. And given that this two step is so tough, you might stash if you're really desperate. But I'm not going crazy here because i also don't know that he's 100 going in the rotation because they have sale sale bayo cutter crawford nick pavetta and james paxton i think they said he is going into the rotation okay so who do you think's coming out then crawford i think so it might be pavetta i mean i know I, he's it, been he's been great but I, I have do, some nerves that it could bold, be him they could do the bulk reliever thing because that worked really really well with pavetta prior to you know him coming back into the rotation. maybe he follows hauk yeah, they, right. They, if if Hawks only that. three four right now, maybe you let Pavetta follow him, and, and then you're getting you know ideally like eight innings from those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be fine with Pavetta as a follower. He doesn't need to be a starter. In fact, I prefer him as a follower. I just hope that they're still giving him bulk innings. So we'll see about Hawk. He's pick up a bull, but he's certainly not somebody I'm targeting heavily or chasing because you can't use yeah. him in the short term of this week. Uh, Javier Assad and Drew Smiley both get trips to Pittsburgh and or Detroit and Pittsburgh in that order for the Cubs. Assad, a little bit more intriguing to me. I brought up Smiley just because he had some goodness going early in the year. But let's focus on Javier Assad real quick. This right-hander has been in kind of a swingman role, put up some solid numbers this year, has been really sharp in two starts recently at Toronto and home to the White Sox. Is Javier Assad doing anything for you with the Detroit-Pittsburgh two-step, both in those pitcher-friendly ballparks? Yeah, I mean, I think the the fact that you're getting those two teams in those two ballparks, I think he's in play. He's the guy I picked up uh, when I didn't think that Stroman was going to pitch this weekend. Now Stroman's not going to pitch, so I'm going to keep using uh, Assad into next week. Uh, I mean, there's not a ton of, like, strikeout upside here, but, uh, you know, he's a pretty effective pitcher, and the fact, you know – I do like the fact that he put up the good lines, but more importantly, he went seven and six innings in both of these two starts. The volume was really nice. Yeah. Yep. 
Whereas, like, Smiley has only gone one inning in each of his last two outings. Um, oh, so, so he might not even be super stretched. No. Oh, I mean, you know, they probably don't care. Like, they, Yeah, they, I mean, yeah, I guess he's stretched from pitching. Like, they, they don't have to re-ramp him back up because of two but uh, I, relief But I think there is a risk where he goes one inning or two innings, and that's it. Like, it ends up being, like, really a bullpen game with his name at the start as the starter. Uh, so uh, no interest in Smiley, but, yeah, I'll, I'll take a shot on Assad here. Yeah, that's where I come out too. And again, I mentioned that Smiley had pitched really well to start the season. His first 13 starts, he had a 327 ERA. He was being trusted across most formats, uh, you know, really close to like a set it and forget it. He was pitching really, really well. But over his last 48 innings since mid-June, it's a 750 ERA with a 674 FIP. So he's earning damn near every bit of it with a home run issue um, and, and probably a few too many hits as well. Some of that on, you know, a 346 Babbitt, but some of that is just his, his fault, like just his own lack of quality pitching. So I'm with you. Not much for Smiley, but plenty of interest in Assad, at least in 12s and deeper. 10s probably can avoid because there'll be better options. Yeah. Uh, what about Clevenger? He gets home twice, Seattle and Oakland. He's been a mixed bag for sure. You know, the White Sox are just kind of nasty this year in general uh, and not in a good way. But his last two starts have been wonderful. Six innings, one run, seven scoreless against the Cubs. Is Clevenger doing anything for you? I mean, he's got a 157 ERA since coming back from the IL. Yeah. Uh, it's mostly fraudulent getting lucky. Babip getting lucky um, in uh, in the strand rate and really, really lucky in the home run rate. I mean, only uh, only one, one since one, coming back. Run, yeah, given up, and he's got an, a, a sub 30% uh, ground ball rate. Uh, so, I mean, I think there's a fair amount of risk here, but it, I mean, anytime you got Oakland on the back end of a two step, I think you gotta just roll. You with gotta it, take a look. You know? I think I think 15 team viability for Clevenger, maybe some fringe 12 team viability depending on what's available there. You know, it'd be a lower rank situation. Yeah. But like you said, Oakland on the board there. And he's a strikeout guy. You know, he hasn't had the strikeouts that we know from Clevenger over the years. But also, his composite numbers this year, 326 and 125 ERA whip, it's not too bad. So, yeah, he's a consideration um, in 12s and deeper for sure. 15s, I think you're pretty much rolling with him if you got him. Uh, Jose Arquiti's back. He gets Boston and a trip to Detroit. How do you feel about the uh, the control artist Jose Urquidy? Is he doing anything for you right now? Obviously, he's had a tough season, but he's been back. He's you know he's ramped back up. Five innings last time out, pretty good against the Angels. I might add one earned seven Ks, no walks. Uh, Urquidy's been a guy I've loved in past years. This year, it's been a bit of a washout type of year. Are you interested in him with uh, Boston coming to visit and then him heading out to Detroit? Nope. Not not even a little. Nope. I mean, I've never been an Urquidy guy. I've That's never true. understood the love affair. Uh, with him, and uh, all he does is give up home runs. Like he's just. I mean, so he never understood the love affair. What did never he do? Twenty-one, twenty-two, three eighty-one ERA and two hundred seventy-one innings with a one ten WHIP. What are you not understanding? I, I, That's with good. With like seventeen strikeouts. Seven point four K nine. What's yeah. your point? I just, he's, he's just boring. Where, where was like, that energy for JP France twenty minutes ago? <laughs> that's all France he's doing. Was, JP France was free. Uh, like legitimately free. Like everybody got him off the waiver wire. He was not drafted anywhere. Like your Keedy was a guy where people were like, oh, he's going to take another step. And people drafted him way too high. Uh, no. How, when, when was he drafted? I don't remember. What was uh, he drafted? Maybe not as. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not even trying here. to call you out. I don't remember. No, maybe he was drafted too highly. But I'll look um, it's fair to not be interested in this two step. Boston does still scare me. I, I don't think they fully get the. Uh, 
the, the love they deserve as a pretty decent offense. Uh, they're not to be trifled with, in my opinion. So even with yeah. Detroit lingering there, I don't think I'm interested. Did you get Arkady's ADP? Uh, working on it. Okay. Uh, While you do that, I will set up Johnny Cueto. Uh, he's going to be going uh, to ADP San Diego. Was 265 this year. That's pretty so, fair. That's pretty fair, yeah. That's pretty fair. But, you, you know. It's been a washout year. It's been a it's been a flat out bad season for Rakiti. We'll see if he can salvage something down the stretch. Let's talk Johnny Cueto with the Marlins. He's at San Diego, home to Washington. I've always got a soft spot for Cueto. Um, you know, I don't just use him carelessly just because I like the player, but I do think there might be some fifteen team viability if you're desperate. But that's really all I can get to right now because while he was showing some decent stuff when he first got off the um, IL. I do worry about the homers right now. He's allowed two in three of his last four starts, and he allowed one in the other one. So that's seven homers in four outings. That's been the problem right now for Cueto. So I do have a hard time with this one because San Diego also scares me, even though they've underperformed. So I'm going to be out on this one, even though I've I've had some positivity about Cueto in the past. Does he give you any deep league viability, Johnny Cueto? I don't think so. We move on. Bailey Ober, this is just for shallow leagues because he's an easy start in 12s and deeper, I think. But in 10s, with his home run issue, uh, you know, it's at 1.3 on the year. I think there could be some consideration to maybe skip here because he goes to Milwaukee and then hosts Texas. And that second one against Texas is scary enough. That might push some people off in 10-teamers. Uh, and that's the only focus that we have here for Bailey Ober. Are you starting him in 10s next week? Uh, I think so. I think, I mean, unless you just have an amazing rotation with some really good matchups, uh, I just don't know how you skip it. I, I know Texas is extremely scary, but uh, I'm not like super worried about Milwaukee. Uh, and yeah. so I, I think, you know, I think you roll with it and just pray that it doesn't, you know, get, he doesn't get crushed uh, versus Texas. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at, too. I really like Bailey Ober, so I, I lean positive. I wanted to get your unbiased take first before I said, yeah, I love him. Uh, but no, I mean, he's allowed homers in each of his last six starts uh, for a total of eight homers in the 31 innings, and that's been that's been an issue. KC, talk about how well they've been playing lately. They roughed him up. He gave up 11 hits to my Tigers, too, which was bizarre. He had nine strikeouts, one walk that game, but just a bunch of hits fell in. So I think I'm going with Ober in a 10-teamer. Hopefully Texas doesn't smoke you. Uh, if he dominates Milwaukee, then he'll build some cushion for the weekend. I can't believe this guy's on this list. I mean, I made the list, so of course I know that. But, like, he deserves to be. Let's be honest. Carlos Rodon has not been very good. Uh, he's expected to come off the IL and and fit into this spot. That's the projection right now. He would get Washington and at Tampa Bay. Where are you at on Rodon right now? Because you don't want to talk about his uh, flameout season. That's Rodon to a T. Are you interested? Um, this one's really tough because Washington is pretty good against left-handed pitching. Um, True. And they're not, they're not a team that's gonna, like, you're worried about, like, oh, he's gonna give up a bunch of home runs or something, which has been one of Rodon's main issues this year. But, like, they can just babbit you to death. Like, they just, Mm -hmm. you know, especially lefties. So, uh, and then Tampa... I know there's a lot of turmoil there. They haven't played as well uh, down the stretch as you would expect. But I mean, for the you know, if you include the entirety of the season, they've been one of the best teams in baseball against uh, left-handed pitching. And so, and what? Can I ask you something real quick on that on mm-hmm. that point? Since you brought that up, how much do you put recent performance in versus full season? Because I do my SP chart, and it, it has last 30 days. 
which I know is not the strongest indicator. So you'll see me like recommend somebody that might run counter to like, oh, they're fourth ranked in the last 30 days. And yet I'm, re I'm recommending the guy because it's like, you know, KC on their surge or whatever. So how much do you take in recent performance like Tampa Bay struggling? Because lineups change. That's why I think the last 30 days or the last two months, I think it has some value to show the evolution of lineups. But you also have to look at the bigger sample, too. So wh where do you come out on that full sample versus recent work? Uh, with uh, offenses when judging for streamers? I only care if there's been a major change in the lineup. Okay. Right? So, like, the trade deadlines happened, and, you know, this team has traded away, a, you know, the Mets have traded away a bunch of mm -hmm. talent. And so, like, okay, now I care a lot more about that small sample than I would on a team that, like the Giants, who haven't done anything, you know, didn't do very much at the trade deadline. Uh, I think samples like that, the the more you kind of uh shrink them down the less useful they are and i think sure we've got a full almost a full season's worth of work to kind of work off of and you know when you're you know when you're truncating it down in order to do a handedness or do a home park i think you don't want to truncate it down any further because then i think you're just getting too messy in terms of, of the splits personally um but i know a For lot sure. of people that disagree with me you know dave uh, who I work with on the Friends of Fantasy Benefits podcast, he really likes looking at 30-day samples for handedness. Um, for me, I just I think it gets a little bit too messy. Yeah, again, I think you really want to have the context for it too, right? Yeah. Like when um, Judge was out and the Yankees' 30-day samples started to change, I put some viability into that. I said, yeah, you're picking mm -hmm. on them right now with Judge out. In fact, even with Judge back, the only thing that's changed is their OBP has gone up and teams are just not getting beat by it. They're saying we're going to let anybody else try to beat us judge take your free pass uh, but anyway i didn't mean to derail rodon there you did mention that tampa bay's been struggling against lefties recently but on the season they're still pretty good does that influence you uh, enough to move off of him because washington's also a little froggy or are you going to go with rodon if he is indeed going to make this two-step i mean i think at 15s you got to i think at 10s you shouldn't um because i, I mean it, you know one of the things we don't have much info is hey, how well has he really pitched in his rehab because he's done he, a he lot of dominated a sim game apparently yeah, exactly and so like, i don't even know if it dominated it was a five inning sim game it didn't it didn't say if he dominated or not he just didn't how, get more hurt we didn't know we don't know how competitive that really exactly is. like right so um i don't know if he's gonna go deep enough in a game to even qualify for a win uh I, yeah rodon could get eight innings here uh, across yeah. these two starts so i think for me it's a no in ten Mm -hmm. A yes in 15s and a maybe coin flip in 12s. Yeah. 12s. Yep, depending on what you got there. And I would lean no. I would look for reasons not yeah. to start it in 12s Absolutely. unless I was just backed into a corner. But I agree in 15s, you probably just don't have anything better. You paid premium price for them. And I know that shouldn't always drive things. You know, just because you paid a premium price doesn't mean that you're going to get money back on that just by starting him. But generally speaking, I'm getting him in in 15s. What about Paul Blackburn? I know it's always tough to start an Oakland guy, so we'll put the caveat out that if you are in a wins fight and you're chasing, I don't think you can start any A because your win percentage probability is like two. Uh, but he does get KC and a trip to the White Sox for Paul Blackburn. And uh, again, I'll reiterate, KC playing better of late, but I'll take anybody in the Oakland Park, uh, any, any offense I can take on. And then he gets to go to the White Sox, which just isn't scary. Paul Blackburn, amazing first name, quality pitcher. Are you starting him anywhere? 409 ERA and 150 whip on the season, though. But did throw seven scoreless at Seattle just yesterday. Where did these ago. strikeouts come from? Like, That's the part that like, I don't know. I like, love that. I, I mean, they like he's been a guy who's like 
you know, his entire career, he's been like a mid-teen strikeout guy, and all of a sudden, we're at 23% this year. Um, That's good. Yeah. But no corresponding swing strike rate jump. In fact, no. it's up 0.2, which is like literally, almost literally nothing. And, and the contact rates are the same, too. So, like, it's like... I don't know where he's getting this. I mean, he, he's Be- better getting, sequencing, better put away pitches, you know, for Paul Blackburn, maybe. Uh, maybe paid off an umpire or two, like a, perhaps. Maybe, yeah, maybe found found the best umpire. To say, hey, man, give me give me those close calls. Come on now, he's I, I need some, these case. He's getting people to chase a little bit more, so that's uh, good. Yeah, maybe maybe he's uh, not you know giving up so much contact early on in counts. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind this one as long as you're not win seeking. Because, like you mentioned, yeah, the A's don't win games. That's they're not allowed to win games. So, <laughs> uh, like he's not gonna win any games. So, if you're looking for just maybe a little bit of uh, ratio help and some innings in a deeper league, obviously tens and twelves is a no for me. No, yeah. um, but in a fifteen, I can understand the move. I just I, I have this picture of what Paul Blackburn is in my head. And I have a really hard time getting past that. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I have a positive outlook on him. And it's weird how our perceptions are shaped, right? But I picked him up early last year when things were going off, like right right after he got going. And so I got a lot of that good work. He ended up fading, and I'd already I'd long cut him because he got hurt, uh, like with that finger issue. So like when he was getting blasted by 10, 10 runs against Texas and whatnot. He was already well off my team. So I have a favorable outlook on Paul Blackburn that I want to make sure I don't let influence me too much. And you have a negative picture where you're like, I don't know this guy. So we're kind of in between here. I will. I mentioned that 150, 150 whip, uh, which is pretty crazy. Even recently when he's been surging over these last 30 innings with a 210 ERA, it's a 137 whip. So that's oh. still like really crazy right now. He's surviving all these hits that he's giving up. I don't really know what to make of it. It's a 15-team consideration. That's it right now for Paul Blackburn. He's also, he's also had a really, really high BABIP. So, like, maybe that whip should come down quite a bit because he had got a 360 BABIP. Like, oh, wow. Like, that is that is unsustainably high. Uh, so, he might actually get some positive regression in terms of his whip. Uh, That'd be nice. Forward. Yeah. Because then you could really feel more comfortable about going for it. But, yeah, it's a 15-team consideration. Um, unless you're win seeking. Yeah. And then our boy Zach Littell, we talked about him last week. He actually got pushed now. Uh, he was supposed to have a two step this week. It's now pushed into a two step this week. So we will talk about, or next week. So we'll talk about him again here. He gets a double home start against Colorado and the Yankees. Have you seen enough in the last week from Littell? Because you were a little cooler on him last week. Has he changed your mind at all after uh, dominating your Giants in a revenge match? I mean, no. He, he is, he is <laughs> who I thought he is, but he's just. He keeps outrunning um, kind of what he's doing. That being said, dominant dude, he killed the Giants. Like you couldn't ask for a better two-step right here. You're getting the Rockies in, I think, the first game off of a homestand. That's right. uh, Which is always what you want. And then the Yankees are as long as you don't pitch to Aaron Judge, you're probably not going to have a bad day. So don't let him beat you. uh, Yeah. So like I picked him up in my main event. And uh, this last week uh, for the two step that was supposed to be this week. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm going to continue to hold him and just move it on into next week. So, uh, you know, do I think he is a good pitcher that this is going to turn into, hey, uh, like a, a, a usable fantasy asset long term? Don't no. be so fast on that, man. 
I really do. Like, okay, it's a little different than the Jeffrey Springs thing, but I think we were saying the same shit about Jeffrey Springs. Four or five starts in last year. Eventually, Jeffrey no, Springs' Jeffrey, dominance yeah, he, jumped another he, level. He was dumb. Like, you watched his start, and you went, okay, I see this swing and miss. I see this dominance. And you looked at the numbers, and you went, okay. I think what we had a hard time with with Springs was getting past the stigma of who he you know, had been. Like, oh, this is just a reliever. He's got some injury history and stuff like Isn't that. Isn't that what's happening with Littell then, too? Littell doesn't have the dominant stuff. Not yet. The strikeouts are going up, though. And again, that is the difference here with Springs versus Littell, is that right away, Springs was missing bats at a clip. And yeah. by the way, he was also, remember this, he was being trusted for five, six innings right off the gate, yeah. or right, right, right out of the gate. And we had Drew Rasmussen, who was still being like a four-inning guy, and was like, has this Jeffrey Springs dude passed Rasmussen in terms of confidence? And eventually Rasmussen caught up. But that was the difference with Springs, was they immediately liked him as a five-plus inning starter, which was really, really cool uh, if you had picked him up. So again, I'm not making a one-to-one -one here, but I'm just saying, you know, we've seen five Ks now in each of the last two outings. I don't know. I, I hold out a little. I just, I could never totally ignore the Rays doing something great. So if I look at Latell and I think, there's no chance this is going to be viable beyond this year. Then I see it's on the Rays, and I say, I'm going to keep that door open that it could still be. That's all. Here's the thing. Uh, if I saw a skill progression or a skill change, even in this short sample, right? So just, like, go down to the last four starts because prior to that, you might have started some games, but he was going, like, two innings, right? Yeah, so, like, it was mixed in type of deal. You know, so if, like, I, if I was looking and I was going, oh, okay – hey, that swing and strike rate is a lot better as a starter, you know, or, hey, he's not giving up as much contact as a start. It's exactly the same. He's got, like, a 9 or 10%, a 9.5% swing and strike rate. 87% zone contact is above league average. Uh, like, he's not getting, like, a bunch of, like, swing and miss stuff. Like, it's, it, he, this is who he, he is. Like, he is who he is, and which is not bad. Like, I think, like, the fact that he pitches in that park with that defense behind him um, and with that organization, like maybe he can be a usable starter, but he's not a guy like that. I think is taking a step at all. Like, I think this is, if, if they were healthy, like he, we would not be talking even close to healthy. We would not be talking about Sacramento. True. But I think the same, that that's where I would go back to the Springs thing. Cause that was based on, on need too. They were backed into a corner. I don't believe they had a mapped out plan. Maybe they did, and it just it, it was enacted the way it was uh, with Springs. But I, I feel like that was another thing that kind of happened out of uh, you know necessity. So that that part's fair. Zach Littell would not be starting, I don't think, if they were anywhere near healthy, and they've obviously been decimated. But I wonder if maybe you're overlooking the fact that he has a two percent walk rate, um, you know, ten percent swing strike rate as a as a Ray fine you know because he did have three innings with the with the red sox this year that actually they were really bad so it does kind of dent the numbers a little bit not enough to freak out too much about it but i'm really i'm really um brought in by the big walk rate or the low walk rate i should say from latell the two percent uh it's under one percent as a starter in 30 innings he has one walk 121 yeah. batters so that part's crazy and premium command like that a uh, premium control, I should say, with with good command, that can carry you. 
I think that can carry you enough. Like you don't have to have great Ks. I don't know. We don't need to keep going in circles. You, you're not so much on Latell beyond this year. I'm leaving the door open. I don't, also want to make it clear that I'm not like overly advocating for him. I'm just not as stridently against him as Justin is for next year. Um, and we'll see what happens with the rotation. We know at least one guy won't be returning though in, in, in the form of Shane McClanahan. So, well, I we'll mean, see. all, all three of those guys, right, are, are probably not returning, right? Oh, yeah. Springs, yeah, Rasmussen, yeah. Rasmussen and, and Springs. Yeah, Springs. they'll all be out next year yeah, for most of the out. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 469 XCRA. Okay. I just, yeah, no, I'll pass. That, that's fine. That's fine. You will pass. And that's all that is is a different way of saying what, it doesn't strike what? a lot of guys out, though. That's what? all the XCRA is, by the way. I mean, I'll, I'll say right now, like, like I said, I'm using him right now. Like, mm-hmm. this is like... Like, just because I don't think a guy long-term is viable, we don't have long-term. We have six weeks left in the season. That's all we care about right now. Exactly. I want to win championships. And yep. right now, Latell has got good matchups. Uh, but, like, I also wouldn't, like, I'm not going to, like, blink when I cut him in a week or two. That's you know, fine. After this, so. That's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit him in the offseason after another six weeks here. And we'll see if we care about him next year. Right now, you don't. Right now, I at least have the door open to maybe caring about Zach Littell just because the Rays are so good at what they do. Um, that's going to be an interesting rotation. I think these four that they have right now, Eflin, Littell, Glasnow, Savale, will be the big four, and then uh, they'll have to fill in. So as bad as it is with McClanahan, Rasmussen, and Springs out, if your top three is Eflin, Glasnow, Savale, that's not too bad. And then, you know, depending on where we feel about Littell and who they get to replace, um, either replace him or add as their fifth starter, all of a sudden, despite missing three major arms, they could be looking pretty good. And Shane Boz could be ready for next year. Yeah. Because remember, he got TJ at the very mm-hmm. end of last year, so he missed all of this year. He's actually going to get that closer to 18-month recovery. Yeah. So Boz could be an interesting player next year, uh, Shane Boz. Littell also, following the two-step, is at Cleveland. So you're keeping him for the next year. You're holding him, yeah. You make it, before you make a decision. No, I, I'm I'm totally with that, and I, I appreciate that. While you don't love him for the future, you're you're still riding with him right now, and that's where we're at. Yeah. We're starting Zach Littell. Um, he's a consideration in tens. He's a start in twelves and fifteens right now with Colorado and the Yankees at home. Justin, great speaking with you. I hope you have a good weekend coming up here. Are you and Jason getting together on Sunday? We should be, and then uh, I have an in-house visitor next week, so we may have special guest uh, Nick Pollock, uh, who's going to coming be to visit. Staying at the Mason Murder Mansion uh, for for the weekend, so uh, yeah, we, we're gonna maybe. Uh, I haven't talked to Nick about this, but um, part of his uh, rent payment for the weekend, I'm sure, will be jumping on a podcast or two. I think that's fantastic. So we'll try to work out the logistics on that. But uh, have a good one, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Take it easy. <laughs>